I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. That's right, I am Kurt Sandig, and welcome to another edition of Paranormal Almanac. And on this week's edition, we're going to do things a little bit differently. I've done a show-and-tell episode a couple of times, so let's now do a listen-and-tell episode, very similar to what we just recently did with the Possessions and Exorcisms episode, where I played a couple of clips. Those clips probably didn't sound as good as they will tonight, though, because tonight... I'm coming to you with a brand new microphone. Hopefully it sounds good. Hopefully you guys like the way it sounds. It sounds great to me. I hope you like it. And this microphone is in part thanks to a great friend of mine, Phil, but also in part to the Patreons. And the reason that it's in part to the Patreons is because of their support, I am able to buy stuff to make this show a little bit better. And that's exactly what I want to keep doing again and again and again. But as always, before we get to that, let's get the shout outs out of the way so you guys can stop skipping ahead. Are you skipping ahead? I don't know. But let's do the shout outs. So we have Dan, Andy, Matt, Scott, Laura, Juliana, Edgar, Dill, Laura, Daniel, Elijah, Philip Hendrickson, plus. I have a special shout-out for Laura for her birthday. This is That's right, this episode is the Laura birthday episode. If you're on Facebook, go on over, say happy birthday to Laura. If you're a patron, go to Patreon, say happy birthday, Laura. And from me and from Stitch, happy birthday, Laura. Thank you so much for supporting me on Patreon and for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. All right, with that out of the way, let's talk a little paranormal news, but not a lot because I've got a jam-packed episode that I really want to get to, but I thought this news was important enough to tell you about. Alien mummy DNA probe may have crossed ethical lines. So, a couple of episodes ago, I talked to you guys about a Chilean mummy, or Chilean alien mummy, that is. It was a really small mummy. It measured about six inches long. It had an elongated head. It looked really creepy. It had almost like see-throughish, brownish skin. Uh, it was found in a cave in uh, Peru's Atacama Desert in 2003. But since then, DNA testing has confirmed that the remains belong to a human fetus that researchers named Ada. Now that's all well and good. We know it's not an alien anymore. It's a sadly, it's a And sadly, it's just a human fetus, but the reason they're coming under fire is that it's a relatively new human fetus that was found in the cave. And because the remains are thought to be just a few decades old, studying them raises ethical concerns. Now, it's unclear if the scientists got permission to even do this DNA sampling to begin with, It seems to be unethical because their investigation, which did not include any Chilean researchers, may have sidestepped protocols 
that typically monitor the ethics of research conducted with human remains. So, unfortunately, it seems like the researchers, with all their best intentions, might have broken a few laws or bent a few laws in trying to find out just what exactly this Chilean mummy actually is. So that's paranormal news for this week. And I only have one more thing before we can actually get into the nitty-gritty of this episode. And it's an update on last week's episode. So if you haven't listened to it, last week's episode was about possessions and exorcisms. The end of the episode, the whole back half of the episode actually, was all about a Gary, Indiana house that seemed to be filled with demons that possessed an entire family that lived there. The stories that I could find said that the house was still there, they had since moved out, another guy had moved in, but apparently there was an actual update that I didn't know about, and that house had changed owners, because Zach Baggins, who I'm sure you guys all know, but in case you don't know who he is, Zach Baggins was the principal host of the Travel Channel series Ghost Adventures. He's not my particularly favorite ghost hunter. He's very popular. Anyhow, Zach Baggins bought the Demon House, did an entire research there, and actually made a documentary horror film, if you will, called Demon House. At the end of it, spoilers, at the end of it, Zach Baggins actually demolished the house. That Demon House from last week's episode is no more. Okay, with that out of the way, let's get into this week's episode. Strange noises have been heard around the globe, in the skies, in the mountains, under the waters, for a very long time. So on this episode, we're going to take a listen to a couple of the best unexplained examples, and a couple that might have been explained. While I was researching this edition, I found a ton of websites that quote-unquote explain these sounds as the upcoming rapture. I would click on it to find out, oh my god, when is the upcoming rapture? Only to find out that every one of these sites, the rapture date has come and gone, and the earth is still spinning. You think they'd at least take down the websites when they got the dates wrong or the date has passed, but whatever, or at least change it so it's not 2014, now it's 2019, it's 2025. But no, they just keep them up, and apparently... The rapture's happened a number of times in the past 20 years, so good on you guys for surviving the rapture or being evil enough to not get raptured and enjoying this podcast. So first up, let's go back to 1977. Now, unfortunately, I don't have a recording of this one, but it's a very special signal that was heard that's still unexplained. A radio signal appeared on the night of August 15th, 1977. It was picked up the Big Ear Radio Telescope at The Ohio State University, which I feel very obligated to say is a fixed telescope, so you can't just start scanning the skies with it wherever you want. And this will become important in just a second. Just stick with me. Now, this signal that they heard lasted 72 seconds. For all intents and purposes... It was loud. It was more intense than anything in the background sky that night. It was also a narrow bandwidth signal. The range of frequencies it covers was small and similar to those of artificial signals. That's important too. Artificial signals, not naturally occurring. 
What do I mean by artificial signals? Well, AM radio, for example, has channels that are only 10,000 cycles above or below the designated frequency on the dial. Further, the signal was at a frequency of about 1,420 megahertz, also called the 21st centimeter line. Why? I don't know, but that's what it's called. That's the same frequency as radio waves emitted by neutral hydrogen gas in space. It's a region that is relatively free of noise from other objects, and one researcher involved in the search for extraterrestrial intelligence has been interested in it for a long time because it could be used for interstellar transmissions. Just in case I just kind of word vomited at you, basically, there was a 72-second signal on August 15, 1977. It's thought to be of artificial origin, an artificial signal not naturally occurring, and it's also thought to be by scientists to be in the range used for interstellar transmissions. Now, sadly, the signal did not repeat, and subsequent attempts to find it didn't work either. Now, the scientist Amon marked WOW in red pen on a printout that shows the numbers representing the signal, and it became famously known as the WOW signal. And I mean famously. This could have been the very first time that we have received an alien transmission. Without a repeat signal, it was impossible to tell what it was. Even getting a precise location wasn't easy because the signal was short-lived. Now, Eamon, who is now retired, has said that beyond a certain distance, it is hard to tell how far away a radio signal is coming from. Now, for a second, let's fast forward to 2017 and a couple of scientists who think they may have solved the wow signal. Professor Antonio Paris of St. Petersburg College says he has now discovered the explanation of the wow signal. A pair of comets. Now, this work was published in the Journal of Washington Academy of Sciences. These comets, known as 266P Christensen and 335P Gibbs, have clouds of hydrogen gas millions of kilometers in diameter surrounding them. The wow signal was detected at, well, again, 1,420 megahertz, which is also the radio frequency hydrogen naturally emits. Okay, that's kind of damaging. That's kind of damaging to the whole it was an alien signal, but let's keep going. Notably, the team has verified that the comets were within the vicinity at the time, and they report that the radio signals match those from the wow signal. So that's that, right? Science explained it. Well, unfortunately for them... Their colleagues say they're very skeptical of the explanation, noting that comets don't emit radio waves in the right way. We do not believe that two-comet theory can explain the wow signal. They also just say flat out Paris is completely wrong about the comet theory. Eamon looked at Paris's study with Robert Dixon, who directs the radio observatory at The Ohio State University. Unfortunately, Big Ear, that huge radio telescope I've been talking about this whole time, was destroyed in 1997. And they say their two big issues are the signal didn't repeat, and it appeared for such a short time. Eamon said that the Big Ear telescope had two feed horns, quote-unquote, each of which, which provides a slightly different field of view for a radio telescope. They say we should have seen the source come through twice in about three minutes. One response lasting 72 seconds, 
and a second response for 72 seconds because of those two quote-unquote feed horns. They didn't see the second one. That kind of rules out this dual comet theory. They say the only way that couldn't have happened is if the signal cut out abruptly and a comet just wouldn't do that. Nor would the comet have escaped the radio telescope's field of view that fast. And okay, back to that like I was talking about a minute ago. The fixed telescope thing I said earlier, the telescope can't rotate to face a signal of interest. It's a stationary object facing straight up. So it only gets what happens to be directly overhead at the time. The telescope, like I said, can't rotate to face a signal. And this is the big reason why they didn't just keep looking for that same signal the night it actually happened. So even with science, we just don't know what the hell caused the wow signal. The comet theory doesn't hold up to science at all. They should have gotten two signals. They only got one. So what exactly did create the wow signal? Was it an alien intelligence? Did we get a random radio broadcast from another planet? We may never know. So let's move on to the next one on this list, and it happened in 2015, May 2015 to be exact. That's when a team of researchers used a Russian radio telescope, and they spotted a strong radio signal coming coming from the vicinity of the sun-like star HD 164595. And I gotta say that HD 164595 is my favorite sun-like star. So, little little fun trivia for you. And it lies, it's not really, and it lies 94 light years away from Earth. Both this one and the original wow signal seem to appear and then disappear quite quickly. Again, this doesn't seem to be consistent with a signal from an orbiting satellite which would be in range of the radio telescope for longer stretches. The thought is, well, that wouldn't be a satellite. A satellite would be on, and maybe it'd be open for a minute or something like that. It wouldn't just go up and down right away. Astronomers know that HD 164595 houses a roughly Neptune-mass world, but this close-orbiting planet is likely far too hot to host lives as they exist on Earth. But it is possible that other planets lie undiscovered in that system. Now, the team of astronomers who spotted the May 2015 WOW signal apparently studied HD 164595, the entire system. They studied it 39 different times, but made just the one detection. So before we actually hear anything on this episode besides my voice, let's talk about why are we getting these WOW signals. Some theories are out there that these are responses to signals we've actually sent out. You gotta remember, we've been sending signals out into space since the first TV broadcast. So any intelligent life out there might have picked up our TV signals. But we've also been sending out stronger signals, like the Arecibo message. What's that, you might ask? I'm glad you asked, because I'm about to tell you. The Arecibo message is a 1974 interstellar radio message carrying basic information about humanity and Earth sent to globular star cluster M13. And it's sent there in the hope that extraterrestrial intelligence might receive the message and respond. The message was broadcast into space a single time at the Arecibo Radio Telescope in Puerto Rico on November 16th, 
1974. Now, the scientists chose M13 because M13 was a large and close collection of stars that was available in the sky at the time and the place of the message. Simple as that, huh? They were there. The radio signal was, the radio telescope was pointed at it. It's got a whole lot of stars. A whole lot of stars probably means a whole lot of planets, as we now know. So they just sent it there. And the message consisted of 1,679 binary digits. Their ones and zeros were transmitted by frequency shifting at the rate of 10 bits per second. The entire broadcast was less than three minutes. And this is just one example. Another message we sent out is called the Cosmic Call, which is a way cooler name, in my opinion, than the Arecibo message. And the Cosmic Call was the name of two sets of interstellar radio messages that were sent from RT-70 in Crimea. And that happened in 1999. In 1999, Cosmic Call 1 happened, and in 2003, Cosmic Call 2 happened. And they were sent to various nearby stars. These messages emitted a four-hour blast of radio waves. And another cool thing about these messages... It was not a project run by NASA or any government. It was a crowdsourced effort put together by an unlikely team of Texas businessmen, Canadian astrophysicists, Russian scientists, and Eastern European radio engineers. Now, this same crowdsource wanted to send out a satellite to these nearby stars, and it wouldn't be a fast trip, taking about 100,000 years just to go as far as the nearest star. They wanted that satellite to carry a 3-kilogram payload with messages, photographs, and DNA samples to show any alien finders what life on Earth is or was like. But since 100,000 years was a long time to wait, they decided to send out this radio message, again, two of them, called the Cosmic Call 1 and 2, to various nearby stars with drawings, texts, and songs, many of them just from ordinary people. They called it a sort of we're coming announcement. I think this is a good point in this podcast to pause for a second and say and point out that Dr. Stephen Hawking thought that sending out a we're here signal to aliens was a very bad idea and would probably end up with them showing up and wiping us all out. One of the smartest men to ever live thought this was a very bad idea. Now, this last one I'll be talking about signal-wise that we actually sent out to ETs is called the Lone Signal. And again, it was crowdfunded, this time by SETI, which, in case you don't know, is the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And it was designed to send messages from Earth to an extraterrestrial civilization. Now, Lone Signal was based at the Jamesburg Earth Station in Carmel, California. The project's beacon, which commenced continuous operations on June 17, 2013, transmitted short 144-character messages by citizens of Earth to the red dwarf star Gliese 526, located 17.6 light-years away from Earth. So, 144 characters. Basically, we just tweeted at aliens a bunch of times. Yeah, because... No tweet has ever done anything bad to humanity. Getting back to it, the Lone Signal team hoped to earn $100 million to construct a network of dishes across the Earth's surface, beaming messages to many regions of the Milky Way galaxy. 
Unfortunately, though, the project ceased transmission shortly after it began due to a lack of funding. Okay, so that's a couple of signals slash sounds we've received from space or sent out to space. But let's actually get to one that you guys can hear and maybe figure out for yourselves what the hell we're listening to. Okay, let's listen to this real quick. Did you hear it? Let's rewind that again. Right there, that's called the bloop. And it was first heard in 1997, coming from our oceans, and was heard on hydrophones across the Pacific. And I mean across the entire Pacific Ocean. It was a very loud, ultra-low frequency sound that was heard at listening stations underwater over 5,000 kilometers apart. And one of the many mysterious noises picked up by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Several articles in the year have followed up, suggesting that the bloop might have been the sound of an unknown animal due to the, quote, organic nature of the sound. Now, assuming similar noise-making capabilities of a blue whale, which I hope you guys know is the largest known species of animal, This bloop sound would have been made by an animal more than 250 feet in length. You heard that right. Some ginormous sea creature is blooping in our oceans. What exactly is this sea creature that made this sound? How could something so large live in the deep oceans and we haven't seen it yet? Well, before you guys start worrying about some prehistoric enormous sea creature down in the depths while you swim blooping... Science probably figured this one out, and I might, and by probably, I mean science figured this one out. Because the sound is consistent with the noises generated by ice quakes in large icebergs, or by large icebergs scraping the ocean floor. Nothing cryptid here, it's just climate change destroying the ice shelves and glaciers. So, Paranormal Almanac listeners... Every website you go to that says the bloop is a megalodon or an unknown sea creature or some ginormous whale or some prehistoric whatever the F, they're wrong and you should shame them. Now, this also goes for other noises that a lot of websites want to tell you are some mysterious sea creature. So, the train? Nope. Lowdown and Julia, which are, quote, unexplained noises, they've all been explained to be the same thing as bloop. They are icebergs scraping the ocean floors. There's nothing more mysterious about them anymore. Science has solved them. Now let's listen to another one coming from our oceans, though. Pretty freaky, right? That one is called upsweep. And that's another unidentified sound detected by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. 
Hydrophones picked this one up as well, and this sound was present when the Pacific Marine Environmental Laboratory began recording its sound surveillance system in August of 1991. As you heard, it consists of a very long train of narrowband up-sweeping sounds of several seconds in duration each. And this sound, just like bloop, was high enough to be recorded throughout the Pacific. The odd thing about this one is, this sound appears to be seasonal, generally reaching peaks in spring and autumn, but it's unclear whether this is due to changes in the source or seasonal changes in the ocean. The source can be roughly located near the location of a volcanic seismicity, but they don't really know what's causing it. Is the underwater volcano causing it? Is it pressure causing it? They do know this, though. Good or bad, the overall source level has been declining since 1991. Is that a good thing? I don't know. Alrighty, we got another one for you from the ocean. In case you haven't figured it out, the ocean has a lot of weird crap happening in it. This one's called The Whistle. Now, I gotta be honest, I don't know what the ocean sounds like normally, but if you were to say, hey, Kurt, this is what the ocean sounds like, I'd go, yeah, all right, that sounds about right. Now, again... According to NOAA, the whistle is similar to other volcanic sounds previously recorded, and it's in the Mariana Volcanic Arc of the Pacific Ocean. But since it was only recorded by one hydrophone rather than the three required to triangulate a location, it's considered unidentified. So if you guys know what's causing the whistle and the upsweep, well, feel free to let me know. I'm going to guess it has something to do with underwater volcanoes. Now, I'm saving one more from the ocean for later in the show because, well, because it's special. So instead, let's listen to this next one, which is heard all over the world. you just heard was from a video recorded in Houston, Texas. And it was recorded on January 23rd, 2012. It's a very apocalyptic trumpet noise, right? It's insanely how scary and how loud that is. Again, it sounds like angelic trumpets or some sort of doomsday revelations thing, right? Literally hundreds of people have reported hearing strange humming, loud booms, grinding metals, and just like what you just heard, trumpet-like noises coming from seemingly nowhere in the sky. In fact, if you look up videos about them on YouTube, you'll find dozens of them from around the world. Like I said, that one was just from Houston, Texas, here in the United States. But these videos are found all around the world. Now, I get that not everything on YouTube is real. Please tell me you guys know that, right? But even if only some of them are real, what the hell is making these sounds? These apocalyptic trumpet-like sounds. This one 
comes to us from Denver, 2012. Guy's walking outside because he heard these trumpets from inside his house. Seriously, come on. What in the hell is making those womp-like noises in the freaking sky? Now, Christians fear the unearthly trumpets could signal the end. And as the Bible points out, trumpet sounds will be heard before the apocalypse begins. Remember, both of these were from 2012, and they've been from a while ago. We're still around. Uh, Revelations 8, 10, and 11 says... The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. So people going deeper and deeper down that rabbit hole have connected some really weird dots that Wormwood is the mythical planet of Nuburu, otherwise known as Planet X. Now, I believe that there's a Planet X out there, as do some scientists, but I really don't believe that some huge Earth-like planet is going to slam into Earth. And even if it does, what the hell are these trumpet noises? Why are they Why are they going off? Are they really trying to alert us that we're going to get slammed into by Nuburu sooner or later? Personally, again, I personally don't believe that these trumpets are God's way of warning us about Planet X. Because it seems to me like if God can warn us with some weird trumpets in the sky, he could also just say, Hey Earth, you're about to get destroyed by Planet X, sorry about that. Or, stop it from hitting us altogether. Another explanation of these trumpets is Project Bluebeam. If you don't know what that is, again, I suggest you listen to every episode, repeatedly, all the time. Tell your friends, tell your family. Anyhow, I talked about Project Bluebeam a couple of weeks ago. Project Bluebeam did mention a fake rapture, where the government will do these trumpet-like noises, seemingly as if from nowhere, for the fake rapture. Why, you might ask? Go back and listen to that episode. Now let's take a very big grain of salt, like a salt lick, salt block size of grain of salt for this next part. Because a quote-unquote whistleblower that not one website can name or verify if they're even real, well, this whistleblower states, it turns out that there may be, but the ramifications of it are more horrifying than any other conspiracy or paranormal answer. Already, I don't like this guy because he doesn't talk normal. According to a geologist who worked for the government, quote, something is going on in the inner core of the earth. It has to do with the magnetic poles changing and involves minerals recycling in the mantle of the Earth. The sounds are being generated in the mantle as large static discharges of energy pushed up through the Earth's crust, broadcasting as infrasound through the ionosphere, and then bouncing back at a lower frequency that we can hear and feel as vibrations. Well, that sounds pretty scientific and real. Now, this same whistleblower says that there's been a change in speed of mantle movement, which is affecting magnetic conductivity. Government scientists, they don't say which ones, evidently don't know if it's long-term or not, but it could involve a weakening and strengthening of magnetic field anomalies similar to the last major pole shift. Since the Earth is about a half a million years overdue for a pole shift, this explanation is more disturbing than most people can fathom. Dun, dun, dun.
Uh, he then goes on to talk about more magnetic field BS and how all these major species are going to die off, including humans. So, you know, that sucks, right? Whatever's causing it, it's strange. And again, it seems to keep happening year after year after year. Now, this next one is simply called The Hum. Now, I got to set this one up for you just a little bit. This one is from a live broadcast of a professional baseball game, an American baseball game. It's real. It actually happened. This broadcast happened just like you're about to hear it. Then it's going to cut to outside a house, a different location, same time, then from a few other parts around the world. Okay, so again, it's going to start with the live broadcast of a baseball game, then to outside a house, then from a few other parts around the world. Let's listen to this one. First inning. sound if we've ever heard one. One ball, no strikes. And the bunt is foul. The count is one and one. What could that possibly be? Somebody shut the door. It sounds supernatural. This is the one of the guy standing outside his house. Here's the same sound from another part of the world. This is from Argentina in 2011. All right, I really hope you guys can hear those as well as I'm, I can hear them while I'm playing them because it's insane to listen to these things, insane to watch these things. What in the hell is the hum? Well, the hum has been heard and recorded for at least 50 years. In case you couldn't guess, it's listed as a low-frequency humming noise that can only be heard by a certain portion of the population. Let me repeat that. Only heard by a certain portion of the population. So if you couldn't hear anything... You're one of the lucky ones because it's pretty awful. It's pretty scary. It freaks me out. And as hard as I tried, it's really difficult to pinpoint when instances of the hum began. But again, it's heard all over the world. I found videos and cases from Ontario, Canada, to Taos, New Mexico, to Bristol in England, to Largs in Scotland, and Auckland, New Zealand. But let's talk about the Taos, New Mexico one for just a second. The hum there has caused everything from a mild feeling of irritation to sleep disturbances, dizziness, and even nosebleeds. The residents in Taos think that the hum is coming from a secret military base in the mountain right by there. 
and I might be talking about secret military bases in future episodes. Stay tuned. Now again, the hum around the world, in most instances, only affects around 2% of the population. And that's really hard for me to get my head around the fact that only 2% of the population could hear that horrific sound coming from the sky. Those affected report never having heard noises before, and they say the hum is generally heard indoors and becomes louder at night. So what is it? Is it natural? Some think it could be from wireless communication devices, power or gas lines, electromagnetic radiation, radio waves, or earth tremors. But again, no one really knows. Science has yet to explain what the hum is. Let's go back to the ocean, not for the one I'm saving till the end, but for one that's known as the ping. Unfortunately, I do not have a recording of the ping, but the ping is heard in the Fury and Hecla Strait of northern Canada. The indigenous hunters of that area in a remote community called Nunavut, Nunavut? Nunavut, I don't know. And if there are any indigenous hunters from that remote community, please feel free to let me know how I pronounce Nunavut, Nunavut. But anyhow, those, those hunters are concerned about a mysterious sound that appears to be coming from the seafloor. No one knows what's making it or exactly where on the ocean floor it's even coming from. And it's not just these local indigenous hunters. Boaters aboard a private yacht passing through the area also say they heard the mysterious sound and described it during an appearance on a community radio show upon their arrival in Iglulik. A number of people called in to say that they'd heard it also, so it's being heard by a lot of people in this area. The noise is so loud, it can apparently be heard through the hulls of boats. Some locals have this really weird theory that Greenpeace has put a sonar device on the ocean floor to scare away whales and sea life from the hunters in that area. But, not surprisingly, I can't find anything to say that this is anything more than a theory. Another theory is that it's a secret military underwater vehicle or submarine controlled by the government. And a yet another theory is speculation that the noise is from a USO, which is an unidentified submersible object. Now, it's either the noise from ones that are stationed there or one that is crashed underwater and it's a distress call. It's worrying people in the area so much that a task force made up of Canadian armed forces searched the area in 2017. But when they dispatched a plane to investigate, well, the crew ran, quote, various multi-sensor searches in the area, including an acoustic search for an hour and a half without detecting any acoustic anomalies. So whatever it is, it evaded the military, and yet it's still happening. After that, people started hearing the ping again. Next up is one called the Forest Grove Sound. What is that? Well, it's an unexplained noise described as, quote, a mechanical scream heard in Forest Grove, Oregon in February of 2016. A high-pitched noise was heard at night in Forest Grove, Oregon, again in 2016, and the Department of Forestry determined that their equipment was not the cause of the sound. 
Now, I like that because the immediate rational explanation has to be machinery in the area, forestry machinery to be exact, but they determined that was not the cause of the sound. A Forest Grove resident shared a video of it on the city's Facebook page, which I can't find and it makes me mad, and the Washington Post described the noise as, quote, sounding like a giant flute played off pitch. Maybe car brakes or a steam whistle. NBC News described it as a bad one-note violin solo broadcast over a microphone with non-stop feedback. So it sounds like a pleasant sound. I'm so sorry I couldn't get it to play it for you guys. Now, again, the locals called it a mechanical scream, and it reportedly lasts from 10 seconds to several minutes. The fire department went out there, heard it, and said... Eh, the sound doesn't seem to be a safety risk. Nobody from the government or the city seems to know what is causing the sound. In February 2016, Andrew Doss, who is a professor of physics at Pacific University, mapped the location of the noise and said the results were inconclusive, but did not suggest any single location. And I think that's very important. If someone's faking this, if someone's got this giant boombox pointed to the sky to freak out the residents... They're doing it from multiple locations. Throughout February 2016, approximately 200 calls were made to the Forest Grover Police Department and said that most of the calls were suggesting explanations for the sound ranging from frogs to aliens to Bigfoot. And just like that, after February 2016, the noise stopped. It just stopped. The final point was plotted on Dawes' map on February 27th in 2016, and the police and fire departments closed the case. And this one is a little bit odd to me, because Dave Niemeyer, the marshal, the fire marshal for Forest Grove, suspected that the noise was a faulty attic fan or a heat pump. Okay, Dave, calm it down. If you've got a faulty attic fan or heat pump that's causing a mechanical scream that can be heard for miles and miles... Just unplug it. Just turn it off. Burn it with fire if you have to. Just stop it. Okay, this next one is definitely one that's man-made, but why? And it's called UVB-76. Okay, I'm going to skip ahead. And also... Okay, that last one might have been a little bit hard to hear, so I'm going to play it one more time for you guys. And I hope you guys could hear it, because besides that stupid buzzing noise, there was actually a woman's scream right at the tail end of that. That's why I played it twice for you guys. This noise started in the early 1980s, and a mysterious radio tower north of Moscow transmitted a bizarre assortment of beeps. And then in 1992, 
switched to buzzing sounds that each lasted about a second and occurred between 21 and 34 times per minute. Once every few weeks, that routine would be interrupted briefly by a male voice reciting brief strings of numbers and words. I know it was really hard to hear, but it's usually Russian names such as Anna and Nikolai. The tone's amplitude and pitch of the buzzing shifted, and the intervals between would vary as well. But every hour, on the hour, the station quickly would buzz twice. Now, this was heard around the world by ham radio operators without an explanation of who was doing this and why. It was obvious that it was coming from Moscow, but why? Now, even more oddly, after years of daily broadcast, the station briefly stopped sending out signals in June of 2010. And again in August of that year. So all of a sudden it just stopped for twice. It stopped twice in one year and no one knows why. Then towards the end of that month, August of 2010, UVB 76 suddenly underwent a big change with thuds and shuffling sounds creeping into the broadcast. Whatever it was, it seems like whoever was doing it, saying those weird Russian names had left the mic on, and you could actually hear them in the background. Ham operators would trade recordings of it amongst themselves, and then it started showing up online, and those would get traded as well, because people would hear frequent interruptions by snippets of Dance of the Little Swans from Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake, and occasional recitations of cryptic messages such as 04979. D-R-E-N-D-O-U-T, followed by a very long string of numbers. Now, the theory, and I say theory, but it's pretty obvious, is that this station is transmitting messages to secret agents around the world. And it makes a lot of sense. If you're a secret agent, if you're a Russian spy, if you will, and you're all of a sudden stationed somewhere else in the world, you might not have access to the Internet You might not have a secure connection. You might not be able to pick up a regular radio broadcast or check your email. But you know what you can get pretty cheap just about anywhere in this world? A ham radio that will pick up this station. Now, so far, this entire list, nothing has been debunked. But since we're talking about Russia, let's debunk one that's out there. Now, it's called the Cosmonaut, the Missing Cosmonaut, the Mysterious Cosmonaut. And this one started when Achille and Giovanni Giudica Cordelia, their two Italian brothers who really liked radios, found a World War II German bunker in the city of Turin in the 1950s and turned it into their own private radio listening station. They would actually find scrap parts and build up their radios. Pretty cool story so far, right? Remember, this one is going to be debunked. Now, the story goes that the Judica Cordelia brothers built a radio that could pick up Soviet transmissions from Sputnik and U.S. transmissions from Explorer 1, and they started to record the transmissions they heard. Now, one transmission recorded on November 28, 1960, is one of the first people sent into space. Supposedly a woman, a Russian cosmonaut dying upon reentry. Now, remember, this is one year before Yuri Gagarin successfully became the first person in space. This cosmonaut sound, it's a woman. This cosmonaut sounds like they're dying on this, rec- on this recording. 
So are you guys ready to listen to a woman cosmonaut dying upon re-entry? Remember, this one's bullshit. Don't worry, I'll translate in a minute. Yeah, okay, that goes on for another two full minutes, which I'll get to that, why that's important in a second. But if you don't, if, like me, you don't speak Russian, don't worry. Someone has actually transcribed all of what she says. Here we go. Five, four, three, two, one, one, two, three, four, five. Come in, come in, come in. Listen, listen. Come in, come in, come in. Talk to me. Talk to me. I am hot. I am hot. So, sounds like there's a hot girl in space trying to talk to people. Uh, Continues on. What? 45? 50? Yes, yes, yes. Breathing. Breathing oxygen. Oxygen. I am hot. Isn't this dangerous? It's all... Isn't this dangerous? It's all... Yes, yes, yes. How is this? What? Talk to me. How should I transmit? Yes, yes, yes. What? Our, tr- our transmissions begin now. 41. This way. Our, tr- our transmissions begin now. 41. Yes. I feel hot. I feel hot. It's all. It's hot. I feel hot. I feel hot. I can see a flame. What? I can see a flame. I can see a flame. I feel hot. I feel hot. 32. 32. 41. 41. Am I going to crash? Yes. Yes. I feel hot. I feel hot. I will re-enter. I will re-enter. I am listening. I feel hot. That was my brilliant rendition of Fake Cosmonaut. Here's the problem. We can't communicate with astronauts on re-entry. To this day, we can't communicate with astronauts on re-entry. Because during re-entry, radio transmission is not possible. It wasn't possible from the Vostok spacecraft, nor was it possible from a U.S. spacecraft such as the Mercury, Gemini, Apollo all the way up till today, because the spacecraft is enveloped in a heated ion bubble which prevents radio waves from getting out or into the spacecraft. Now remember, this is also the time, supposedly, that this recording is being made. I'm sure you guys have seen footage of the Apollo missions, but if not, there was always this really long moment of tension, of silence, even with the space shuttles. It was that same thing. They were waiting for the crew to transmit again after parachutes had safely deployed and re-entry had been effectively over. Now again, this happens till today, so it definitely would have happened with one of the first people up in space. So when she says, I can see a flame, or there's heat, or blah blah blah, the re-entry heat and ionization shows, it proves that this is a fake recording. She would not have been able to transmit then. So, sorry guys, science seems to win out again, and this one appears to be crap. And I've got to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if at the beginning of the Soviet space race, a lot of people, a lot of lives were lost. I would not be surprised by that at all. But, I'm calling BS that this is a recording of a Russian cosmonaut dying either in space or upon re-entry. So, in my opinion, that's your debunk of this episode 
So let's move on to one that's real, but we don't know quite what or why it was made. Now, this one's called the Aztec Death Whistle, and this video is of an old man blowing a skull-shaped replica of the Aztec Death Whistle. And this is the sound that comes out of the whistle. It hasn't been added in post. It's not fake. It's been proven to be real. And it's really weird. So, I want to show you this. I want to share with you this very unique instrument. We call it the death whistle. He calls it the death whistle. Okay, so he's calling. It's an old man. The video is of an old man. He's in front of a crowd. He's describing the death whistle. And he'll continue to go on to explain how the death whistle was used for special ceremonies. But... Let's move forward in that video just a little bit to him blowing the death whistle. All righty. Okay. Okay, okay, that's enough of that. So yeah, that screaming noise you heard was just an old man blowing into a tiny skull-shaped whistle called the Aztec Death Whistle. It's a screaming skull-shaped whistle. What the fuck, right? Terrifying, right? All right, so let's talk about what we know about this whistle. To do that, let's go back to the 1990s when Mexico City archaeologists discovered a 500-year-old skeleton near an ancient Aztec temple. The theory is that that skeleton was a victim of human sacrifice because the skeleton didn't have a skull, but it did have something else. Two small whistles, and, not a surprise, one of the whistles was in the shape of a skull. Now, some incredibly brave or stupid archaeologists decided to blow into this Aztec skull whistle, and when he did it, that awful scream shriek came out of it. And I can only imagine that archaeologist then proceeded to pee himself. But the explanation is that, quote, there are different airstreams generated within the structure of these instruments, which then diametrically hit against each other. Now, a music archaeologist who examined the whistle said, And thus, the Aztecs were able to produce a very shrill and noisy sound. Now, what they did with them is a mystery. Now, did a bunch of warriors blow them during attacks as the main theory, as this old man is going to say, if I would have let him play? But I'll put it on Facebook so you can watch the whole video. But did an entire army of warriors blow them during attacks? Which, I gotta say, would absolutely terrify me. Hell, if a bunch of hot Playboy models blew a bunch of these Aztec skull whistles at me, I would cry and run in the opposite direction. Now, we may never know why they made them or how they used them, but I can tell you, I don't like them. I don't like them at all. Okay, so that's one horrible story, but I promised you one last recording from the ocean. So, let's listen to one last recording from the ocean. Oh, wait. No, that's more of the death whistle. Sorry. Uh, The last one, it's called 52 Hertz Whale. 
So let's listen to that. It's much nicer than the Aztec death whistle. Okay, sounds like a normal whale, right? Well, the 52 hertz whale also goes by another name. The loneliest whale in the world. And it's called that because its call is at a highly unusual 52 hertz. And that's well above the normal frequency of whale calls. Scientists have been listening to the 52 hertz whale for decades. And it's always alone. This whale's call is on such a different frequency that it never gets a call back from another whale. Filmmakers raised $400,000 on Kickstarter to seek this whale out in 2015 in a movie called 52. Now I want to note the two actors were involved in this fundraiser. One, Adrian Grenier, helped with the actual Kickstarter itself. And two, Leonardo DiCaprio actually gave $50,000 towards this project to try and find this lonely whale. Now another movie called Finding 52 is supposed to be coming out in 2018, but I can't find out anything about it, and their website, 52thesearch.com, is no longer active. What we do know is this whale is real, and this whale continues to call decade after decade. And to me, that's really sad. I love ending an episode on a downer. Sorry about that, everybody. But that about does it for this edition of Paranormal Almanac. I have one thing to ask of you guys. Get me those listener ghost stories. I'm talking ghost stories, personal paranormal experiences, UFO stories, anything real. That's all I ask. It's a real story. It doesn't even have to be your story. It could be your aunt's story, your grandma's story, a story that's been passed down generation after generation. I want to hear them because we've got an upcoming Paranormal Almanac listener ghost story episode. Well, once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, talking to you from a very good microphone from a very good friend of mine. Phil, thank you very much. Laura, happy birthday. Once again, I'm Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Ha! 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 Ha!